penalties here, but there's, there's worse than that. That is not good news, is it? I think that's the end of his night by the looks of him. Read the signs right, Alan. He's worked so hard, waited so long to, to get to this point, to a, a major final with his country. And when it happens, it only lasts a few minutes, really. Edit. Not got much help. Oh, he doesn't need any help! How about that? in Paris but they are Portugal and tonight they've been simply magnificent champions of Europe well hello everybody welcome to the teams of our lives with myself Marcus Speller and that guy Andy Brassel yes that's myself how are you I'm very sexy Andy how are you well, I know you're very sexy, but what's the point in saying that? That's wasted words. We all know that already. It's affirmation, brother, and we all need it from time to time. Right, I okay. am affirming to myself that I, <laughs> that I am the sexiest man in Jamaica. Do you remember I that song? Like, I do. I don't like the way you really emphasise the syllable firm in uh, that word. <laughs> what, a start to the, what a start to the podcast, everybody. I think you'll agree. Um, today, we're talking... European Championship teams. Um, again, we are recording this before Euro 2020 <laughs> has begun. So up yours, everybody. This week, we're talking about the Portuguese team from the 2016 European Championships who won the tournament, as if you didn't know. Andy, what do you immediately think of this Portuguese side? Do you think, oh, good swashbuckling stuff? That's exactly what I think. <laughs> You did well not to build them uh, with uh, hind, uh, with uh, foresight as ex-European champions, Portugal. <laughs> yes. I, I mean, in, in a way, mm. this was a little bit like Chelsea winning the Champions League in 2012. A little bit. Where, where pretty much every other Portuguese side you can think of in a mm. recent tournament are much better to watch than these, yeah. are much more coherent. You could and say yet, that. and yet, they found a way. They found a way, and it's all about finding a way, because sometimes, Andy, life finds a way. Um, let us go back only two years previously to the 2014 World Cup. You know I like to set the scene. They went out in the first round of that tournament, really because they balls up their opening match with Germany losing 4-0, and Pepe was sent off. Um, but they... And yet, yet they complained. You know, um, they did. Uh, Paolo, Paolo Bento, the coach mm. um, at World Cup 2014, and he did very well getting them to the finals of Euro 2012 as well. Mm. He um, refused to speak to anyone associated with UEFA, including match officials or journalists, mm -hmm. after that opening game because of the Pepe sending off. Love that. Which is a remarkable blind mm. defence of, of, of your player, yeah, I think. No, I, I do like that. And it's interesting, Andy, since the 21st century really began, Portugal have been quite an interesting side. Um, if you think of uh, well, Euro 2000, they, they, they beat England and they, they, they got out of the group, of course. Um, in, in 04, they hosted, reached the final. I should have won that. I mean, my goodness, you know, but fair play to Greece. And then uh, World Cup 2006, they, they reached the World Cup um, uh, semi-final as well. Uh, 2010, only narrowly beaten by that great Spanish side. 
Euro um, 2012, again, only narrowly beaten by perhaps an even better Spanish side on penalties mm. uh, as well. So they've, for a country of only about 10 million people, they, they really have ramped it up in, in so, this century. Yes, Marcus. And they've gone into each one of those tournaments in the 21st century with a, a, a reasonable chance of at yeah. least aspiring to win it, I think. It's been amazing, really. The, the only tournaments in, in amongst the ones that you mentioned in which I feel they've been a bit crap, uh, a World Cup 2010 um, when they were just awful to, to watch mm. and prime Ronaldo was completely mm-hmm. isolated really and World Cup 2014 where Ronaldo was so injured he could barely stand up yeah um and I think 2014 is, is a bit of a watershed and actually in all the misery of that created the template for them to go on and win 2016 mm. because um they realized that they were incredibly reliant on Cristiano Ronaldo and why wouldn't you be mm. in one of the at least one of the, the, the two best players in the world at the very least. Mm. Um, but they realized that they were too beholden to him. And Fernando Santos, the successor to Paolo Bento, mm. who's someone who's very well-traveled, yeah. very pragmatic, very grizzled, is, is someone who realized that... Grizzled is the word, yeah. Yeah, that that is one word. A wily um, old fox. <laughs> Someone who's very much suffered from the smoking ban in stadiums. Yeah, oh yeah. I, I, I think what he did so well for Euro 2016 is he realised that they needed to find a way to, to look after Ronaldo, to mm. try and get the best out of him, but to look after him. And... They, 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 he did that really well in in in, in 2016. Mm. Now, if you go back to um, 2014, as as I said before, he, he was so injured, mm. and of course, he talked about that in his his biopic that followed the uh, the year after, yeah. which you may have watched, you may have enjoyed, uh, you may have found laughable, you may have been disgusted by it, <laughs> any of those things. Um, but what was interesting is in that. It, you always got that from Cristiano, that sense, that overdeveloped sense of responsibility. Mm-hmm. You know, you got that. I know you and Jim were at the 2009 Champions League final in Rome. Yeah, yeah. That, that was definitely apparent that day. Yes. But when you get that foot a bit further down the line, 2014, when he's not fit enough to go, when he's jeopardizing his future really by going to the 2014 World Cup. But he said, in the film, I've no option. My team needed me. And I knew my team needed me. Mm. But, I mean, I've watched a lot of Ronaldo at very close quarters. And he's one of the most intense trainers that I've ever seen in mm. the first part of his career. And a lot of his teammates who played with him will say that. Ultra professional, gives everything, makes everyone else give everything as well. Yeah. And then when you get to Brazil, and basically all he can do is jog around the pitch twice, lie on a yoga mat and do a couple of stretches and that's it. <laughs> you know there's a you know there's a huge problem. Sounds like um, it sounds like Ronaldinho more. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and when you get to the final match of that where um they beat Ghana, but it wasn't quite enough. Mm-hmm. And he's really suffering. It's yeah. painful to watch. Yeah. There needs to be a new plan. And Portugal don't have the best squad they ever had going into Euro 2016. Of course, there's talent there. 
But what Fernando Santos did so well was he's right. How do we stop him doing too much running? How do we also cover up for the fact that we don't really have any other center forwards of the requisite level? And it's still an issue because remember in the 2016 Champions League final that comes just before that, I mean, he is absolutely playing off fumes by the end of that. You know, in extra time, Real Madrid are hanging on and they finally get there. Ronaldo scores the the winning penalty, mm. but they're ever so lucky to to do that, Real Madrid. And, you know, it's the sort of grim hanging on that becomes mm-hmm. part of Zinedine Zidane as, 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 as a coach. But um, what he does is thinks, well, this is a country that overproduces wingers. Mm. And, you know, we can all go through them, can't we? From Futre, Figo, Nani, Simao, mm. Quaresma, um, Nani, Morte. Ronaldo, themselves. Boa Morte. Now you're talking yeah, my language. Yeah, yeah, get a bit of Fulham in the pod. I like uh-huh. that. What does Boa Morte mean in Portuguese? Good death. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Good death to you, sir. No, <laughs> carry on. Not, not the greeting I was looking for today. No. Um, but what Fernando Santos does is he thinks, well, Ronaldo and Nani click really well. Mm. And Ronaldo is going to be more or less a fixed point striker because he just doesn't have that much in the tank. Mm. Real Madrid haven't asked him to press for for years and he's not that fit. Mm. Not quite as hobbled as he was going into World Cup 2014, but still quite hobbled. So Nani is trusted as the second striker to provide that movement around him. The Benzema role, Andy. (laughs) <laughs> and do you know what? It works. It does, yeah. It, it, it works really, really well. And the rest of the team mm. is just super, super solid. They're carrying the piano, as, uh, as the, the the old expression goes. Carrying the piano very slowly with a few lunch breaks yes. and uh, coffee breaks in the middle. Who was it that said that? Was it Shankly? You need... You need, what, what, 10 men to carry the piano, but only one to play it or something yes, like that. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it was remarkable because I, th- I think Ronaldo... So I, I honestly think that by 2016, so, some people sort of hadn't... I mean, fair enough. Like this is I'm not having a go at people for thinking this, you know. But I think some people still thought of Ronaldo as a sort of a wide forward or a, not a tricky winger. I don't think they people thought that about him. But this idea of him being a more of a front man, if you see what I mean... And then in, in this World Cup, I mean, it was like he was a target man, which I think some people might have been a bit confused of at first because you think, what, Ronaldo is this kind of yeah. centre-forward type player. But but that really was when I suppose, when I say the world saw it, I mean, you know, the world sees what Real Madrid does, if you see what I mean. But an international tournament, I think people notice it a bit more. But it's it's remarkable when you go through it how that kind of naturally evolved. And really, mm. what Fernando Santos did with him, you could actually argue that it's given longevity to his career, like helping him to carve out that different role, looking at a way to take the load off him, um, which at club level always seemed to be quite difficult. But you look how many players who could be classed as wide players mm. in that squad. Um, you could Vierinha. Nani, mm. Rafa Silva, mm. Eliseu, Quaresma, Ronaldo. Um, uh, you know, even at a, at, a, at a push, you could say uh, Joao Mario, Renato Sanchez uh, yeah. played a brilliant season for Benfica in the centre of midfield. First time he played centre midfield was 
when he played in the Benfica first team. Before that, he'd been a wide player and done very well in the UEFA Youth League playing off the left wing or off, off, off the right wing. So, mm, yeah. I think Fernando Santos, being such a good international coach, part of being such a good international coach, is realizing that the players you've got, you are always going to have greater strength in some areas. There's no transfer market. Mm. You've got to make do with what you have to a certain degree. And although there's talent, maybe there wasn't, you know, obvious talent to make a, a really balanced team and, mm-hmm. and and they worked with it and he, he came up with 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 quite the recipe in the end. they were quite fortunate though because of the ex- the expansion of the tournament um they managed to go through with just three points in in third place i mean they were the third placed uh the, the third best third place <laughs> team due to their goal difference and the number of goals mm. they scored so it was fairly uninspiring in the game I mean, they drew one all with iceland and I think was it after the Iceland game, Ronaldo wasn't too impressed by the way the the Icelandics went about their business. I think he was. That was one of, yeah, that was one of my most enjoyable moments of the tournament because <laughs> I, I, I went to all of these games apart from uh-huh. the eye-burningly bad second round game against Croatia <laughs> oh um, in, in Lens. Yeah. So I remember the first game against Iceland. It was at Saint Etienne. Portugal had loads of efforts in goal, mm-hmm. on goal. Nani scored the opener um, and. Yeah, they 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 didn't win. It was a Berkey Bjarnason uh, mm. equaliser, I, I think, at the back post for, for for Iceland when I think it was Cedric nodded off. And um, afterwards, uh, Ronaldo was uh, complaining about how, yeah, they, they, he thought Iceland were quite negative and you know they should have beaten them comfortably and didn't make the most of it. And a friend of mine who I shall not name. <laughs> We were with Ronaldo in the mix zone while he was saying this. And at St. Etienne, there's a kind of, or certainly for this tournament, there was a a windy sort of airport queue type mix zone. Mm -hmm. It's the bit where the players come out and speak to the journalists if they want to stop. And so you could run along the mix zone and catch another player at, at the end if you sort of ran ran along the zigzag and (laughs) we heard Ronaldo say this and this friend of mine very sneakily ran all the way to the end and uh, saw Carrianus in there and he's like you'll never guess what Cristiano Ronaldo's just said and off he off he went and uh, said that he goes what do I think of that I think tough shit yeah that's it (laughs) it's amazing I, I think I know who you're talking about there, Andy, and yes. <laughs> and, and, and the reason why I know that is because I did a podcast with him and I think he uh, he mentioned that story. So you perhaps could name him, actually. Um, but, Good on him, either way. Either way. But uh, but yes, so Portugal, it was the first of three draws in the group. I mean, the second game was nil-nil with Austria, which was which was poor. But the last game... Though, and Ronaldo, was, Ronaldo missed a penalty in that as well he, at the Parc de France. He, he, yeah. he, yep, sorry, yeah, I shouldn't have glossed over that. Um, now, was it... When did he throw the microphone? phone in the in the pond when was that or in the river I, I think that was before the tournament started oh was that okay so he was a bit tetchy it's fair to yeah. say yeah yeah totally and you were because with... there are all these these there are all these questions over over his fitness yeah so you were with the all portugal time. uh team if i'm if um if, if i'm right in saying yeah well for, for a lot of that yeah mm. how did you how did you think that in during the group stages the way they were playing, what, what was the what was the vibe around the camp? Were they enjoying themselves? Were they, I don't, you know, what was the vibe? They they were really erratic mm. uh, 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 in the way they played, and at this point, it was 
utterly impossible to see them winning the the, the, the title. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they, they knew how to dig in mm-hmm. and I thought they were very well coached, but it just seemed that they didn't quite have the resources to, mm-hmm. to get it done. It didn't feel like a great Portugal side by, pardon me, by any stretch of the imagination. And really the, the Hungary game mm. was this extraordinary outlier, really. Yeah. Because it was so different to anything else in the tournament. 3-3 three, three draw in, in Lyon. Two great goals by Cristiano Ronaldo yeah. in, in, in that that helped them out of trouble. And, you know, as they equalized, you thought, right, Portugal are going to go on and win it from here. Mm. And Hungary just refused to lie down. Hungary was so brilliantly supported mm. at this tournament. And I think because... You look at subsequent Euros and, of, of course, now, even if Euro 2020 had happened last year when it was meant to happen, it was never going to be supported to the same extent because it was already dispersed. It was difficult, I think, financially and geographically for a, a lot of people to get to Russia mm-hmm. in 2018. Uh, we had... Um, the the shadow of uh, Qatar 2022 coming up. So there was this whole sense around the tournament, taking it away from what you're talking about with Portugal, this sense of, you know, this is one last party Mm -hmm. before international football goes away for a bit almost. And like, you know, people were able to get there from all over the continent. And I think of, you know, the tens of thousands of not just traveling English and Welsh and, Mm -hmm. and Northern Irish, but, you know, traveling, Hungarians and mm. Albanians mm. Uh, and it was it was something pretty special I, I know a lot of people will have watched this tournament from home and th- thought it wasn't exciting football and a team playing not exciting football <laughs> won it but being there it was it was brilliant it, it's, it's my favorite tournament actually that I've ever been really? to S- simply for the for the atmosphere mm-hmm. um, but no it, it didn't feel as if Portugal could do it Right up until the point where Quaresma wow. knocks out knocks out Croatia, and it's not Portugal knocking out Croatia; it's Quaresma knocking out Croatia. Say, when are we going to get to Quaresma, Andy? Your favourite footballer of all time? Well, he's certainly my favourite current footballer. Okay, um, and he was he was just fantastic. He did a really great job in this tournament, a really great job in this tournament, way past the point where people thought he'd wasted his career. And he's had a very interesting fourth decade. There's mm-hmm. no doubt about it. He's, he's kept himself in brilliant nick and yeah. played with great liberty. And he, he put in a brilliant shift in a, in a, in a lot well, of this he... tournament, a vital, vital goal yeah. as well. And I have to say, watching that game with neutrals, as I said, it was the only game I didn't go to. Mm. The disgust that my friends and family and their friends had mm. in a team who played like Portugal, knocking out Croatia, who everyone loved to watch. It was like absolutely powerful. Is it lazy for me to think that it was surprising for Koreshma to put in a shift the way he did? Was that Santos, the manager, doing that? Or is that a bit lazy thinking about Koreshma? You know what? It, it was always about mentality with Koreshma, mm-hmm. but it was never a lack of desire. Okay. It was a lack of focus maybe, um, but... Yeah, absolutely. He clicked with Fernando Santos. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And um, he was harnessed in the right way. And I felt he almost found it a bit liberating, Quaresma. If you look at the latter part of his career, when he wasn't expected to be the star anymore, Mm -hmm. when people thought he'd 
wasted his career. He always needed to feel loved and supported rather than demanded of, yeah. I think. Uh, and that really made the difference for him. But yeah, such an important goal in that. And we, we had really interesting cameos from a lot of these players. I mean, I think you have to hand it to the guys who were the, the steady eddies in that team. I mean, mm. Rui Patricio ended mm. up having a, a brilliant final. João Mario had a great tournament. Yeah. João Moutinho had a great tournament. Mm-hmm. Renato Sanchez, who'd just oh, come yeah. off that brilliant opening season with Benfica where I mean you know we talk about tiredness when we come to major championships mm-hmm. and how Portugal playing within themselves in this tournament was almost a, mm-hmm. a template a bit like Greece had been in 2004 yeah. of a certain way of winning a tournament without playing flamboyant football conserving energy yeah. defending properly all that sort of stuff the amazing thing about Renato Sanchez 18 years old mm. in his first first team season with Benfica the only player in Portugal who played more minutes than him was Rui Patricio, who's at Sporting at the time. Renato Sanchez, in his debut season, played a thousand more minutes than any other outfield player, and then yeah. turned up at the Euros and played like that. He was one of their best players. That was incredible, yeah. And and also as well, the their their first two knockout games go, uh, you know, to, to extra time, which which doesn't help if you're trying to conserve energy, and obviously. In, in, in terms of the quarterfinal against Poland, it went, it went to penalties. And Portugal, they were beaten, of course, by Spain on 2012 on penalties. And it's interesting, Andy, because we'd come to see Ronaldo take the fifth penalty. Uh, he did that against England, I think, in 06. He did it uh, for Real Madrid in the Champions League final against Atletico. And he would have been number five against Spain in 2012, but they didn't get to him. They went out and... The recent documentary on TV here showed you his annoyance that that he didn't get to take an ultimate because they went out. He takes first against Poland in this shootout. Was that? Do you think that is he's going more functional now? Maybe, and I think it's, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, so much of um, how we look at history is dictated by how an event ends. You know, mm. we don't actually look at the process in between. Yeah, and I, I feel that this is kind of one of those occasions really because um you know we, we, we talked about it on, on on the on the ramble a bit i think it was me and jim and kate the fact that um ronaldo was pilloried in some places in 2012 for like maybe hiding until penalty five mm. i mean he won't have seen it like that at all he'll, he'll no. be saying to himself the the big one mm. is for me. Yeah, that, I'm, I'm, exactly I'm waiting for the big one. Yeah. And if, you, if, you're, if you're Didier Drogba taking the last penalty in the Alliance in 2012 in the Champions League final, you're the bravest man ever. I, I think it was just a reason for mm. people, some people who, who wanted to have a pop at Cristiano Ronaldo having a, having a pop at him. But the bit that I really remember from that shootout is when they're deciding who are taking the penalties. Mm. And he goes to Joao Moutinho, come on, to hell with what everyone thinks. You're going to take it. You're going to score it. Yeah. Let's go. That's because right, he, does, he'd, yeah. he'd started off when he was a young captain, I think the youngest captain ever at the time for sporting Moutinho before that they went um, their separate ways and he went to Porto. He was the penalty taker there. Mm-hmm. And then he missed a couple and stopped taking them. Mm. And so, you know, Ronaldo was going to him, Come on, come on, let's let's just do this. You can do it, you're gonna do it, let's do it. You know, like like that sort of slightly brutal sports teacher yeah. that that everyone has at school. And mm-hmm. it's funny because 
this turns out to be one of Ronaldo's contributions when they eventually get to the final as well. Well, we should say Moutinho did score. He took the third. Yeah. And he scored. who got the winning penalty though, Andy? Oh, Ricardo Quaresma. That's right. He certainly did. And then they were into the semis. And I actually, um, I actually was at this game. Yeah, you played. were, weren't you? We didn't realise that we were both at it until afterwards, did we? I think that might be right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, it was a, it, it was a fairly comfortable win for Portugal, if the truth be told. I mean, Wales, again, Wales had had a phenomenal tournament, but I'm not inevitably. Again, with hindsight, you can. Uh, say this sort of stuff but that that quarterfinal against Belgium you know that 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 was just it was phenomenal of course and then when you have quite an explosive game like that you win a game that you don't expect to win the manner in which you win it mm. it is absolutely to then pick yourself up for another game it does not it's not the kind of the you know after the Lord may show but it, it shows you what, why the best teams and the deepest squads and so on go go far whereas with Portugal it's slowly kind of ramping up, if you see what I mean, and and really Wales didn't threaten Portugal in that game. It was, as I say, it was a, it was for this Portuguese side, it was a kind of uh, just let's a bit of a you know an attritional battle which we will win, and we have the quality. And in the second half, not long into the second half, they score two goals. Ronaldo, bang! What a powerful header! Uh, Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah, he equals Michel Platini's record of nine goals at European Championships with that goal. Minutes later, Nani, it's 2-0. And that really is the end of that. You know, because of the way they play, they know what they're doing. And and actually, you know, they could probably really, in most of that second half, just kind of ease off. Let's make sure we get the job done. And, it, you know, it was a brilliant Wales performance in that championships, absolutely. But... That is a lovely old job for, for Portugal. You know, you're yeah. playing against a side who are inferior to you. You go 2-0 up very early on in the second half. You can you can see out. And in that match as well, just to couple, throw another couple of stats, Ronaldo becomes the first player to play in three European Championship semifinals. And he's now had more Euros appearances than any other player. It, it just suddenly, he gets the goal. It's all coming up Ronaldo. And you think, hang on a bleeding minute. They're in the final here. But they've still got the host nation to beat. Yeah, and um, again, a, a really, really interesting context uh, for the final because, of course, you think Portugal going into the Lions' den, mm. um, it feels like destiny for France. Yeah. And France were brilliant in the semi against Germany. Yeah. It felt like the best side in the tournament, knocking out the second best side in the tournament. Mm -hmm. It was such a stimulating occasion. It was at the Velodrome, which, as you know, always sells it to me. Mm -hmm. um, and what I think people didn't realise is, A, the fact that outside Portugal, the biggest concentration of Portuguese in any city in the world? Paris. Paris. The second thing is just the sheer determination of this Portuguese side. And you see that when Ronaldo gets absolutely ploughed through by Dimitri Payet, yeah. tries to continue, can't continue, goes off in a right old state. And of course, you know, you do get the byproduct of Ricardo Quaresma coming on, which is fantastic. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's a huge blow to Portugal. Yeah. And from them, 
it becomes real attrition, as, yeah. as, as you say. Rui Patricio is brilliant mm-hmm. in the final. He's really good. And now they did defend well, and I don't think it's mutually exclusive to have a goalkeeper who plays brilliantly and a defence that generally plays brilliantly in this because France are the better team. Uh, they have the better players. Yep. They, ha- I don't think there's any doubt about that. But I guess the moment, and we always talk about the moment, the moment... The moment is where that injury time effort from Gignac, who yeah. does brilliantly to find himself a little bit of space, hits the post, doesn't go in, mm. and then we end up going into extra time. Yeah. There are two things before we need to go any further in this game that we need to mention. Firstly, Mark Clattenburg was in charge. And secondly, <laughs> everybody in that stadium, including the players, had survived a moth attack. Yes. Mm. Oh, those moths, they were unreal. It was like something out of a flipping Hitchcock film. But anyway, into extra time. And I think we were all predicting when Ed Eyre, the former Swansea City man, came on, we all had him down to get the winner. <laughs> it's, it's, it's actually an astonishing goal. I watched it again the, the, the other day. It's and it brilliant. comes out of nowhere. In the player, the the actual goal, the t- the whole thing, it's just out of nowhere. Yeah, and I think in terms of his career, yeah. really, it's almost out of nowhere. I mean, he's someone who, when he was at Braga, looked as if he could go on and uh, and play for a very big club. He's he's, he's a talented player, mm-hmm. and him becoming a pro in the first place, you know, he had such an incredibly difficult early life he didn't come through a posh academy like a a lot of these players he really had to fight to become a pro in the first place and him becoming a pro is a success story in itself when you look at what he had to put up with in in his childhood Mm -hmm. and his his, his teenage years Um, then at Braga when it looks like he's going to make it big he ruptures his cruciate ligament Mm. and he's kind of like the I guess he's kind of the ugly duckling of this group, really. You, you know, he's someone who people don't think is a game changer, who they just think he's there to make up the numbers in the squad, who if Cristiano is fit and operational, doesn't get a go in this. And he comes on and mm. scores, as you say, yeah. a goal worthy of winning any final. Beauty. And what I always used to love about Football Italia when I was a, a kid was when someone had scored a goal in a big game, how like millions would come on the pitch, subs, staff, all the rest of it. And when Ed Air scores the winner, it's like everyone is on the pitch going mad. It's It's incredible. Get everyone, get everybody. We all need to be there. Get everybody on there. And the funny thing is, though, it was in the 109th minute he scored. There was still 11 minutes plus injury time to go. And when that goal went in, you thought, yeah, that's it. And I think it's one of those goals in one of those games where it's been a it's been a stalemate. There's not much happening. You get a moment of quality, and you think, "Oh well, that's it." Unless that it's a mistake or a moment of quality, that's what's going to happen here. When that yes. goal went in, the the scenes of celebration, you just thought, "That's it." Yeah, they and have just done be- it. And just before that, of mm. course, um, you had almost had 
that before it happened because you had that free kick from uh, Rafael Guerrero mm. uh, just outside the uh, the box that beat Loris and hit the crossbar. Yeah, yeah. And, and that is the moment. Yes, where you're you thinking think at, they've used it. You're up. thinking at the time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And as well, you're thinking that would be such a a perfect moment because you know here is a guy who was born in France, mm. who was brought up in France, mm. who at the point where he joined up with the Portuguese squad, he didn't really speak much Portuguese at all. Oh, is that right? Um, and Anthony Lopez, the reserve goalkeeper, who's also born and brought up in France, just outside Lyon, he kind of translated for him because he, he said, well, you know, when I joined the Portuguese squad, I was I was in a similar situation. My Portuguese was a bit crap. So I kind of was like a go-between and... Yeah. And, and and helped him like link with the the other players. So that would have been extraordinary, him scoring to beat France. And you think there can't be a better story than that. And then Edda comes up and then Cristiano Ronaldo coaches them well, through yeah, the we, end of the game. I, I, he coaches them throughout the whole game, really, when he sort of thinks, hang on, how have I got how can I be a part of this? You know. But my favourite bit of that is when uh Rafa Guerrero oh. is absolutely dying on his feet mm. and Ronaldo limps along gets onto the side of the pitch and he's like come on come on we need a bit more from you yeah just you know and he, he sort of almost grabs him beneath the shoulders and he's like right come on you've got to stand up proper posture yeah, yeah let's yeah. go ah oh, remarkable and it's interesting again in the recent documentary that yes Ronaldo likes to make everything about himself in a way. Although I think that's quite, um, I think that's too simplistic to perhaps to say it, but he, he, he you know, he, the way he sort of celebrated and ran on the pitch, well, not ran or hobbled onto the pitch and had the trophy. Yeah. It was like, you know, he'd scored the winner and blah, 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 blah. But actually he was so crucial, even though he went off after 25 minutes in that, in that final, but in a speech after he made in the dressing room, he said, this is the happiest moment of my, of my career. He said, I know that you've got the personal accolades and all the other things, but this is what he wanted to do. And I think that's it. Yeah, that, that's it. I th- I think, of all the misunderstandings of Cristiano mm. Ronaldo, the biggest one should have been allayed that night. Mm. That playing for Portugal means everything to him. Yeah. And that moment, even though it wasn't on the pitch when they won it, mm. even though he didn't score the winning goal, like it meant more than any other moment in his career. Mm-hmm. I I think it was the, the sheer joy on his face. You don't see that that often, yeah. that extent of, of, of joy. Yeah. And it, and uh, yeah, and and it does mean that he's one more international level than Lionel Messi. Um, <laughs> Had to get that in there, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, well, he's now won two. They won the UEFA Nations League. All that's yeah. missing is the World Cup. Maybe we'll uh, maybe we'll talk about that another time. But Andy, it's been a pleasure talking to you. About As always, last one, everybody. Thanks for listening. I uh, hope you've been enjoying the Euros uh, again. We've been recording this before they've kicked off. There we are. Thank you very much for listening to the teams of our lives. Andy and I will be back next week. Another great team of our lives. Lots of love. Football Ramble is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network.